It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host on WGN Radio in Chicago, wherever you're listening this morning or if you're listening on a podcast somewhere around the world. Hope that you enjoy the show. I'm going to start off with leaving Canada uh, and then talking about bees and beekeepers. And then I'm going to talk about the quagga quagga mussel. doesn't sound very exciting or sexy, but it is quite a problem suddenly rearing its head in rivers across the United States, and particularly in some of the big rivers in the American West where there's a lot of irrigation. But I, first of all, want to just leave Alberta, as I left it last week, with fall in its full spectacular splendor. And every year, this time of the year, I have that yearning desire to have started way north in Manitoba, as I used to do, And while I was following the ducks, I really was following the trees. The change of foliage is just, to me, and I'm sure to many of you, one of the most spectacular things that can occur in nature. And we live in a part of the world, being centrally located in Chicago or wherever you're listening in the Midwest, where you can experience the change of seasons over really several hundred miles worth of latitude north and south, and, and just have, a, have an extended period in, of just looking at the magnificence of trees, whether they be maples, aspens, oaks, sycamores. It doesn't matter. They're all spectacular, and probably none, though, more spectacular than that of aspens and poplar and oaks and the deep red that oaks get, as they do in the north woods of Wisconsin and across Minnesota. And you go into the poplar bogs and you get the you get the willow buds turning yellow and so i i yearned for that experience i didn't have it this year but instead i found myself as i mentioned last week in alberta and i found out that alberta can have some of the most stunning fall colors i've ever seen you just need to go west of calgary and go into the mountains which i did so if you have not been to alberta in the fall all i can say is i think you should go You'll be quite surprised at what you see. It's different than the colors in the Southern Rockies in Colorado. It's certainly different than the magnificent colors of northern Wisconsin, northern Illinois, and Michigan, upstate in Michigan, as well as over in Minnesota. But it's a different kind of wildness. And one of the things that's, that's so remarkable is, of course, you're looking at the ragged Canadian Rockies, which are as wild as any mountains in the world. Sadly, though, as I was leaving Alberta and got out of the mountain country and and headed south for the border, I was greeted by a seemingly just endless array of wind farms. And I talked about this last week as well, but I didn't talk about it in the context of, of, of how sad it makes you. These vistas, these incredibly beautiful sweeping vistas across the, the plains to the to the Canadian Rockies and at night when there is no ambient light because there's nobody living there. All you see are the blinking of these windmills, blinking at night. It looks like outer space has landed, descended on the on this incredibly beautiful natural landscape, which except for agriculture having plowed lots of fields, it looks like it did well, it looks like it did when we first saw it as settlers couple hundred years ago and it really hasn't changed over time except for agricultural production it has changed now 
windmills are taking over the landscape of southern Alberta. And it's ironic in that here is Alberta, one of the greatest energy producers in the world for, for carbon fuels, and it has windmills everywhere. But the people of Alberta are increasingly unhappy with what has happened to their viewscapes, much as those in Texas, which I last year had the pleasure of talking with Rex Tillerson, the former Secretary of State and the former President and Chairman and CEO of Exxon. And we talked about, he said, what's happening in Texas with some of the most iconic viewscapes of the entire state and, and all of a sudden their windmills. It makes me think of Illinois and driving south to the head of the head of the Illinois River at LaSalle, Peru. And at night, it looks like it's it, it, it just every, as far as you look are red lights. And, and I don't say this pro or con, whether wind is a good energy, a bad energy, way beyond my information to know that. I only know what I read, but I know what my eyes tell me. And my eyes tell me and my heart tells me that this idea of windmills across, across the continent, illuminating our night sky with red lights, and in the middle and in daylight, just whirling overhead. And we know the, we do know the impact on birds is, is, is high. We just don't know how high because no one's ever studied it. But my, my eyes, and as I said, therefore my heart is heavy. When you look at some of the most beautiful landscapes anywhere in the world, and there you have these blades spinning and at night illuminating a sky with red blinking lights. It, it's just, it's almost as though you can't go anywhere and not have be, be impacted by the, by the touch, by the hands of man. We know that. But there got to be places where you simply say, this is too beautiful to scar. I don't think we would put up oil wells and have them be 30 stories tall and sitting out on the, up against the Rocky Mountains and, and let that happen. Yet we, we do it in the name of sustainable energy. Um, but how much is sustainable at wind? Again, I'm not, I'm not going to go pro or con. All I do know is it takes an awful lot of energy to make them. And what do we do when they break? We don't have any way of disposing them. We leave them on the ground right now. It's, it's not as simple as it appears of putting up a windmill and having the wind suddenly create power. And one of the things that's not as simple is what is it doing to these remarkable viewscapes around North America that are now being marred? And what's it doing to migratory birds? Once again, this huge wind farm going in at the head of the Illinois River, uh, one of the major migratory bird routes in in all the world. What kind of an impact is that going to have? It can't be good. So leaving Alberta, I had also the pleasure, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, of going through the customs office. I mentioned a couple weeks ago when I went up into Alberta, I went through a I went out of Haver, Montana, and north across the border, and there is no town, just a a crossing. And a few years ago, that crossing was literally, it wasn't much bigger than an outhouse. It was tiny, and you had a Canadian Mountie there, and they said, hi, why are you coming to Canada? And you told them, well, I'm going sightseeing, or I'm going to take pictures, or in my case, I'm going fishing and bird hunting, and they said, have a great trip. Well, when I went across the border a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned they had now built a multi-million dollar heated facility. You drove your your truck in, in this case, and you parked and you sat there for a long time while they went through all your paperwork and asked you all kinds of questions, asked to see your guns. And then you went on into Canada. Well, coming back, I figured, heck, I'm coming back to the United States. I'm an American. This should be a pleasure. I arrive at a different crossing, this one north of Cutbank, Montana, again, no town within 50 miles or more, either side of the border. 
And there's a brand new multi-million dollar team. And imagine how much it costs us to build this thing. Multi-million dollar mirror image of what the Canadians put up. And so I pull in and I've got birds and I've got guns and I pull up to the to the window and and this lady from immigration says in a not so nice way, let me see your passport. So I show her my passport. What have you been doing? I said, I've been hunting. I've been fishing. I didn't tell her I was doing shows for the great outdoors show on WG and radio. And she basically said, get out of the car. And for the next 45 minutes, it was as though I was an alien coming into the United States. They went through everything I had. Apparently, I had miswritten a serial number on one of my shotguns. So that caused a great kerfunkle. And they told me that I needed to have papers to bring my gun into the United States, even though I had papers to bring my gun into Canada because I came from the United States. I said, well, how would I get these papers? And they told me I should stop on the U.S. side of the border and gotten them. They said, how do we know your guns weren't youth tracking me? This is, this is just how absurd our, our system has become, at least on the northern border. I guess on the southern border, we don't care so much. But and, and I had to get papers to show that I didn't buy the guns in Canada. I said to the nice immigration agent, well, I couldn't have bought the guns in Canada because here's my paperwork that showed I brought the guns into Canada from the United States. What does this have to do with the Great Outdoors show? It has everything to do with the Great Outdoors show because traveling to Canada, whether you're fishing or hunting, has become extremely difficult. And this is our friendliest nation on earth. You would think that Canadians would welcome us, and you certainly think that Americans on American side of the border would welcome us coming home. By the time I was through with this fiasco of going through my guns, going through everything I had, and they asked me if I had any fruit. Well, I had a couple of oranges that I had purchased that morning for breakfast and, and had not eaten them. And so I had them in the car to eat on my drive down to uh, <laughs> Great Falls, Montana. They confiscated those because you couldn't, you couldn't bring fruit from Canada into the United States, even though I am positive that that fruit did not originate, that those oranges did not originate in Canada. They probably originated in California. I bought them in Canada. I'm actually bringing them back home. Enough about crossing the border, except to say it's not the pleasant experience it used to be. The Mounties not friendly. They don't sit in, in old buildings that are weather-beaten and, and happy to see you and, and want to talk to you. Now it's all bureaucratic. It's all paperwork. And for whatever you do, do not make a mistake on a serial number on a shotgun. If you do, you're going to spend the amount of time I did trying to correct that because the computer can't correct it because it was entered incorrectly to begin with. You get the drift. Maybe when we clean up our mess in Washington, whatever they're doing now, maybe we can pay a little attention to how it is that Americans are treated coming back into our own country if we've been hunting or fishing in Canada instead of being treated as people from Mars who are, who are coming to America to hurt ourselves Maybe we look at, at, the, at individuals like myself and the tens of thousands of people who go to Canada hunting and fishing as Americans enjoying the beauty of Canada who only want to come home. I'll be back in just a moment with more on the Great, great Outdoors show. And when I do, I'm going to talk about beekeeping, a big surprise. Thank you for listening to the Great Outdoors show. This is the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers.
Hiking, camping, and hunting, it's all an adventure in the great outdoors, but nature can be tough. You need to be ready for anything and everything. Chevy Silverado is built to handle the toughest conditions and get you everywhere you want to go worry-free. Silverado's designed to handle the big jobs. It's built for the great outdoors. With over 13,000 pounds of towing capacity and trailering sway control, Silverado can haul the biggest loads on the roughest roads and keep you cool as a Sunday drive. With eight available cameras and up to 14 different views, it can spot trouble before it gets to you. That's peace of mind. And when you're ready for the backcountry, Chevy Silverado 1500 ZR2 owns the off-road. You name it, we run over it. No wonder it's Motor Trend's 2023 four-wheeler pickup truck of the year. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and check out a Chevy Silverado. It's freedom to explore the great outdoors. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. I was going to do a rather long discussion on beekeepers and what is happening with bees, honeybees in particular. But I'm going to save that for next week because the story is actually building. As I'm talking to you, I just saw another piece of information on it that came in during the break. So I am going to wait till next week to talk about bees, but I'm not going to wait. And by the way, it will surprise you what I'm going to tell you. And that is we might have too many bees, too many honeybees. More to come next week. Quagga mussels. They have apparently found their way into some of the most sensitive ecosystems in the American West. And we're sitting here in Chicago, and you're probably listening, saying, well, it's about time. We've been dealing with zebra mussels for decades now. we got Asian carp. we got all these invasive species that are fouling our waters and messing up our water intake systems. And the zebra mussels have totally transformed Lake Michigan, cost hundreds of millions of dollars in damage to water intake filtration plants. At one point, shut down the infiltration plant in in Chicago, out in Lake Michigan, because of all the mussels. Well, the quagga mussel has now found a home in the Snake River in Idaho. The Snake River has a lot of current. So the larvae of the quagga mussel are no doubt headed for the Pacific Ocean and and, and ending up in every waterway in the northwestern part of the United States. And this is now front page news across a region that is not accustomed to dealing with these kinds of things. So the quagga mussel does essentially, as I understand it, what the zebra mussel does. It makes a mess of our ecosystem, and it lives and, and, and clogs intake systems. So think of all the irrigation coming out of the Snake River, the Columbia River, the several million acres of cropland that are irrigated by farmers with pumps in the rivers, the quagga mussels attach themselves to the intakes of these pumps, and they choke them off, and no water. It's one thing when it happens to the filtration system in Chicago. That's the city of Chicago can deal it. It's another thing when it happens to an independent individual farmer who now has to spend, or rancher, who's got to spend tens of thousands of dollars trying to deal with this. So the state of Idaho has declared an absolute war on the quagga mussels. They have, believe it or not, they have banned boats. They have banned dogs. They have banned humans. And the press release says, yes, we are even banning decoys from being placed in certain sections of the Snake River. 
So you cannot fish, you cannot kayak, you can't canoe, you can't swim. You're not allowed to go in the Snake River for, for a long stretch of the upper reaches of the Snakes all the way down through Twin Falls, Idaho, because they're trying to figure out what to do with the larvae of the quagga mussel. Here's the problem with this, with this don't go anywhere near the water. It reminds me of during COVID, don't go anywhere near Lake Michigan. Birds by the hundreds of thousands use the Snake River every single day. And when birds sit in the water or they feed or they drift downstream, the pelicans, they get the larva of the quagga mussel on their feathers. And then they fly and they go land in some other lake or pond. And the next thing you know, the larva falls off and it's in that. It, it, it would seem to be impossible to stop the spread of, of quagga mussels just as it was impossible to stop the spread of zebra mussels. The state of Idaho and the Fish and Wildlife Service, and actually this is coming from the Department of Agriculture because they're so alarmed at the potential losses to agriculture of, of quagga mussels messing up the irrigation systems. The Department of Agriculture are working aggressively to figure out what to do. In the meantime, there's nothing that can be done and staying out of the water. So I guess if you go swimming in the Snake River or where to go fishing and you got it on your waders and you go on another stream, it would get moved to that stream. That can happen just as, just as easily as it's going to happen from the hundreds of thousands of birds using the Snake River that'll go down to the Great Salt Lake, that'll go to the Pacific Ocean, that'll come down to Nebraska. It's impossible to spread, stop the spread of these things. But for right now, it's a no-go in certain sections of the Snake River, and this will become a national story very quickly. So once again, you've heard it first here on the Great Outdoors Show on WGN Radio. And I think on that happy note, I probably should wish you a great, great week in the Great Outdoors coming up. And remember, next week, it's going to be about bees and beekeepers. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.